Welcome to the In The Scope podcast, where you read and hear new perspectives in the scope of different lenses. I am your host, Joshua M. Hicks, senior writer of War Media. Make sure to subscribe to War on Anchor, the home of the In The Scope podcast, on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the TuneIn app. And follow me on social media at that guy Josh Hicks on Instagram and jhicks042 on Twitter. Also, make sure to check out the War Media site at weareregalradio.com to get all the hottest and latest content on all things sports. Again, this is Joshua M. Hicks, and welcome to the Indisco Podcast. Hope you enjoy the show. Bang your head, break the drumsticks. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Indoscope Podcast. I am your host, Joshua M. Hicks, senior writer for War Media, and I have a very special guest of mine because this guest has known me since I was born, literally. <laughs> he's a great guy, a huge mentor of mine, and he's doing great work in, in, the, in, the, in the world and the society, especially in this now as a pastor of a church, and we'll get more into that later on, but this uh this guy right here is special 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 place in my heart and to me and my family. I want to welcome Quincy High School standout, U of I standout, and former NBA player Bruce Douglas. Pastor Bruce, how you doing, man? Hey Josh, it is good, man. It's a, a privilege to be with you and uh so proud of the work you're doing, man. Um it, it's uh it's amazing uh to watch you grow from a, a, a young kid into a a mature brother who's making an impact uh, in the world. So I know God has great plans for you as well. It's good to be here, though. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. We're glad to have you on the In The Scope podcast. And I hope you approve. I did wear some Illinois gear. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, well, I better lift my eye up yes, there. Yes, sir. I, 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 that's, that's the way to roll. Yes, sir. I had to, man, because this is a very special uh, situation that's going on with the U of I family right now. You know, legendary basketball coach Lou Henson recently died uh, and recently passed away. So that's a huge loss to the U of I family. Um, we obviously have our thoughts and prayers to go out to the Henson family. Um, and I know you had a personal connection with Coach Henson and that family. And But before we jump into that, like I mentioned earlier, you are a Quincy High School standout. I mean, you did go to Quincy. You're a homegrown kid. Um, from Chicago, and you decided to stay home to go to U of I. Talk about your journey to how you got to U of I and what really contributed to you choosing to go to U of I. Well, I mean, you know, first of all, it, it's, it's probably the greatest state for high school basketball, definitely back in the 80s. Uh, and so uh, being able to just play in this state, uh, win a state championship, uh, live in the state tournament every year, uh, was just champagne felt like home. So, you know, while I was in high school, I grew up, of course, uh, from a family of uh, athletes and basketball players. And so um, just Illinois uh, was an attractive place. It was a great university. Uh, it had great people. Of course, Coach Henson, who's very special to me, uh, Coach Collins, Coach Nagy, Coach Yates, the people that, that were there at the time. Uh, but just growing up in this Illinois atmosphere and playing at the University of Sh uh, Illinois uh, on, on in the hall every year 
uh, just made it a special place. And so when it was time to to go, and I surely had the opportunity to go anywhere in the country, um, I chose the University of Illinois because it was uh, not just my home state, but it was it was home to me. And it was an environment that was just waiting to do great things. And uh, I was blessed to become a part of it and to be able to accomplish some great things while we were there. Now, you mentioned the fact that it, it meant a lot to you to stay home and to go to you, uh, you about to play in the, in, the, in the hall like that. Obviously, as of recent, there's a lot of local recruits that are going out of the state to go into bigger, bigger conference uh, teams, if, even in the Big Ten. I, want, I forgot the kid's name, but there's a recent guy here from Rolling Meadows that just committed to Michigan State. So he stayed Big Ten, but he decided to go to Michigan State route instead of staying at home to go to U of I. Um, as someone that decided to stay home, talk about what you schools like U of I, DePaul, and big schools like that that have history of local talent staying local to play for the schools. How do they get back to that? How do they get back to relevancy with that recruitment tactic? Because a lot of top-tier stars are going for the Dukes. They're going for the Kentuckys. They're going for the Michigan States and things of that sort. Instead of staying home for their respective, you know, respective uh, colleges within their hometowns, especially in Illinois. Yeah, no, you, you make a good point. We, it, it's been an issue that we've been um, struggling with in the last 10 years or so. And, I think we're on the right track now, Josh. I think there's a couple elements you have to have. One, you have to have a head coach that uh, plays the style of basketball that's attractive to, to high school players so that, um, you know, they they not uh, they understand that they're going to get the opportunity to showcase their, their talents and their abilities. Uh, I think they got a coach there now who has that kind of style. It, it's the kind of style where you can play seven, eight, nine people uh, and everybody can become a, a major part of that uh, of that winning uh, um, plan that you have. You also have to have relationship building. Uh, when I was coming up, um, DePaul was, was, was in the mix as well. Uh, they recruited me. Uh, I, it was a place I visited. I, I surely thought about uh, DePaul. And again, you have to have coaches that are building relationships with the head coaches here in the state. Um, and then you gotta, you know, the third thing is you gotta make, you gotta build a family, man. It's a family atmosphere. When I went to Illinois, we. We just had a, a Zoom call the other day with all of the, you know, the players throughout the 80s and 90s. Um, we were a part of a family. So the head coach kind of builds this family, uh, builds this talent pool, builds uh, this whole ideal that, um, that you're coming to something special and you're, you're going to build something special. And I think you have to have those elements. And then, of course, you got to win. Um, you got to win. I mean, uh, when I was at Illinois, we won the Big Ten. We, we played in the regional championship. Uh, we won. And, um, and, and, and it has to be a program that wins. Uh, and, and those elements build, um, we got the fan base down there, man. You got the facilities, you got everything. You just need the right people in place. And I think we have uh, Coach Underwood's down there now. Uh, he's building, um, you know, he's building momentum up. I think he's got a, a, a great group of guys in there right now. But we, we, we got to continue um, to work on uh, keeping our, our homegrown boys right here uh, in the state. And uh, it, it's, it's a little more challenging today just because you got, you know, the TV is and the media and, and some of the other universities that, uh, that have a leg up in some of those areas. But, but Illinois can, can do it. And if they're going to do it, it's going to be through relationship building. Describe your experience at U of I when you first stepped on the campus throughout your entire tenure as a basketball player and as a student. 
Yeah, it, well, it was a great, it was a great experience, uh, first of all. It, it's not just a great academic uh, university. Uh, it's very competitive. Um, but I remember the first day I stepped on, it's just a, it's a beautiful campus. It, it's about 35, 36,000 students uh, when I was there. And, um, and it offers uh, all the opportunities that life can bring. And so you're in, you're in an environment where you're with uh, kids your age, uh, your social life uh, is booming. And of course, as an athlete, you have to balance those things because, you know, you spend most of your time uh, in the training room, on the basketball court, uh, but you also have to learn how to compete in the classroom. But uh, my experience was a wonderful one. You know, I come on campus. Um, uh, I'm excited about playing basketball. I'm excited about uh, competing in the classroom as well. And I've just built, you know, some relationships and friendships with not just people on my team, but uh, professors and other students there that that um that are close to me today. And so, um, just the experience of growing up and maturing. You know, it's a spot, man, where we get to party, we get to, you know, we get involved uh, with a lot of different things. And I say that because that's the uh, time of your life where you really learn uh, how to how to grow and become more responsible. Um, you're on your own. Uh, of course, as an athlete, you, you just have some great privileges because you have a great support system and people uh, that are watching you and, and guiding you. And so that was so helpful uh, for me. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, it was probably the greatest season of my life. You know, it was where I developed a purpose. My relationship with God really began to grow. Um, I, I, I got hooked up with, um, with some special people, Coach Henson being one of them. And, um, and, you know, so from there, it was just like um, the sky was the limit. And I was in an atmosphere where people um, supported that and, and encouraged that. And so I, I really worked hard at it. And uh, it, was a, it was a blessing for me. What was it like being around Coach Kenson? What was it like playing with him? Did he recruit you? Did he actually help in that recruiting process? And then what, so what was that like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. Coach recruited me. Uh, I remember one when Coach first came to my house, we were outside talking and he told my mom, he said, now look, Miss Douglas, I just want to be honest with you. You know, uh, I, I, if I don't get Bruce, I could possibly lose my job. And, uh, and my mom said, well, we definitely wouldn't want you to lose your job. And uh, so in a joking way, but no, Coach recruited me. Uh, him and his wife, Mary, were, you know, they're like family. Um, he surely was, he was a father figure as a coach at, at that age. He tells you things that you are not ready to hear. And, and when you get older, you realize the people that love you tell you stuff, whether you want to hear it or not. And of course, coming from uh, being a high school All-American, uh, coming to college, there's a transition period. And you need someone to ground you and, and remind you that, the difference between you and the next player is how hard you work. Everybody's skilled. Everybody has a uh, great talent. Uh, and so it's going to be the way you think the game, the way you work at the game, and the way you are able to apply uh, what you're learning so that you can uh, perform when the lights are on. And, and Coach taught me all of those things. And then he, then he you know, he kept us um, grounded by making sure we was in, uh, understood the importance of academics, getting an education. Man, I mean, you know, when you got people lining things up for you and uh, trying to make sure that you get the things that you need to be successful in life, you're just in a blessed position. And, and Coach Henson did all of that. Uh, he's very, very simple. Uh, he's very humble person, uh, full of dignity. Uh, he had high expectations. I called him the 4P man. He taught me how to prepare, 
He taught me how to play with passion. He taught me to make sure that I never forgot my purpose. And then he thought, taught me how important it was to reach my potential. And so um, every day he challenged me in those areas. And, um, and to the day, uh, yeah, I was just with him a few months ago um, and we were having lunch and, um, and, and he was just reminding me of, you know, those days. Uh, and there was some comical things about it, you know, because there's days where you just, where you're struggling and, uh, and he reminds you that this is a part of the journey. And so um, you don't realize till you get older that people like Coach Henson, uh, they promote stuff that they live. Man, <laughs> this dude was full of faith. He was full of fight. Uh, uh, he, he surely uh, uh, believed in Christ. And, uh, and, and so I grew up in, a, in that atmosphere of athletics where we prayed before games, we prayed after games. Uh, he was someone who never cursed. He, you know, so he carried himself in a way that was exemplary for somebody my age that was trying to grow in, in a relationship with Christ myself. That's an interesting aspect. It's the aspect that you mentioned from your, from a, um, as many would call it, a religious perspective. You know, the fact that he was a Christian, you, you was a Christian. How much of an impact did that, um, that similarity and that, um, that same connection, how much, did, how, how did that spiritual aspect really help with your connection and building a bond with Coach Henson? Well, it, it, it's tremendous because what happens is, is today you, you just have a lot of coaches. They're great coaches, but, but their approach to you is, is so dynamic. And sometimes it, it can be devastating because it, it's a lot of vulgar language. It's, it's a, it's a lot of hollering. And Coach Henson was just not someone who was like that. He was very mild-mannered. He could get loud at times, but he hardly ever raised his voice. He didn't say a lot of words, but the word he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. Um, so when you see that kind of person, uh, it, it gives you the right kind of picture. That's what I expected, and that's what I thought, and, and that's what I, what I got. And so when you build relationship with those kind of people, they kind of give you uh, the right kind of approach to things. Uh, they're mild-mannered. Uh, they're humble. Uh, they always carry themselves with a standard. Uh, they have dignity, uh, and they're people of character. And and to them, integrity, those things are more important than um, than success and uh, and doing anything to win. And uh, and so at that age, it, it was very very impactful to me. And uh, as I got older, like I said, and watched Coach uh, who battled cancer for about the last 17 years. I mean, there was days when I would have conversations with him. Uh, where he could barely talk and, um, you know, he, he would be down. And three days later, uh, I called him the Teflon man. The dude would be back up and he was talking and and he was just vulnerable to you. Um, and you didn't realize that he coached from his personality and, and really the way he lived life. Because at that age, you know, you just think they're supposed to be tough and they talk about you. It's a war out there and it's a battle. But he was really a person that uh, may be the greatest competitor I, I ever knew. Everybody listening right now, you're listening to former University of Illinois standout and former NBA player Bruce Douglas. Um, Bruce, what was your favorite moment with Coach Henson? Uh, probably, you know, we, we beat Indiana my sophomore year. We won the Big Ten. And uh, I, I'll never forget, uh, we played Indiana at home on our floor and um and we we just really devoured them uh we beat them about 15 16 points so it was a cbs national televised game and i remember after the game coach just telling me we we've, we've achieved 
uh, the first part of what we wanted to do. And, and that was just my second year there when I came. Uh, coach talked about winning a Big Ten championship, winning a national championship. But but after that game, um, we hugged and, and uh, you know, we just, we just savored the moment that we had achieved something a lot sooner than what we probably both thought we would. And, um, and I just remember, um, you know, both of us feeling uh, that, that victory, uh, all the hard work we had put into it and uh, all the things that he had done to bring uh, players together. And then to beat Bobby uh, on our floor uh, to clinch the Big Ten was just a, a special moment. Coach Hanson helped produce a lot of NBA talent from you, Kenny Battle, Kendall Gill, Nick Anderson. Um, over the years, obviously, I know you played for him. So the teams you had played with him on, you probably may have a little bias too. But in your opinion, <laughs> um, who do you think was the best team that Coach Henson coached? Well, you know, no question I would be biased. I, I think, you know, to be fair, the, the flying Illini was a, had a great season. Uh, they had a great finish. Uh, our 83 team, they won one more game than we did. We lost the regional championship to Kentucky at Kentucky by three points on a, a very controversial call. Um, and so I think that team uh, would have been able to give the Flying Illini a great game. But I think when you look at the Flying Illini, Nick, um, uh, um, Nick Kenny, uh, Lowell, I mean, we recruited those players. Lowell played with us. Um, and so Kendall, I mean, they, they, they took their game to another level at the right time. They really came together. They played above the rim. They had a great pace about them. Uh, um, and so I, I would give them the nod just because of the, the, the way the game was transitioning them. Our game was a little slower. It was a little more, um, it was a little more patterned. Uh, there was a lot more control with the ball. And I think uh, the Flying Illini in, in, the, in the 89 season, uh, they played not just above the rim, but they played at a much faster pace. Uh, and they had a lot of athletes. We both, both teams had great athletes, but we, we played with predominantly five players, six. They played with eight, seven, eight, nine players. And so uh, I think Coach Henson just showed his versatility in, in his ability to adapt to uh, his talent and to his players. Uh, but uh, but I, I would give Nick and them the nod. We would love to play them. Uh, but I enjoyed watching them. They're great players, great people. Uh, uh, Coach really instilled that character uh, and that um, standard of, of excellence in all of us. And so um, I would probably say, though, that they were probably the greatest team he coached. If you want to talk about deep success, the last time you I had that was the national championship game against North Carolina. I want to say it was 2005. Do you think U of I will ever get back to that, uh, that level of, of success when it comes to the men's basketball program? You know, I, I do, uh, Josh, only because before I came there in the 80s, uh, they were saying the same thing. Uh, Illinois uh, with the Wiz kids, uh, it, it had been back in the 60s before they had done anything. Eddie Johnson, actually, Eddie and Mark Smith came there uh, right in the end of the 70s. They made one tournament, and then they kind of, the year before, we had a great class with me and Ephraim and Doug and Scott and, uh, you know, uh, Reggie. We, we came in, and the year before we came in, they were in the NIT, and they were once again saying, would that ever happen? 
but we came in in the 80s and then, uh, you know, we handed it off to Kendall and Nick and they handed it off uh, Marcus. And so, so yes. And the reason it can get back there is because I think they have the right leadership. Uh, Josh uh, is leading them as the AD. Uh, I think they've got the right people in place. Uh, they got the right environment uh, and they got the right support. And when you have those elements, uh, it's hard not to get back there. Um, it's going to take a few years, but I think they're on track again. Uh, we got to be a little patient, uh, but but I really believe that um, in the next ten years we could see Illinois once again as a as a, a top contender uh, in the NCAA tournaments uh, consistently. Okay, okay, I hope so. I hope so because obviously I love making the trips to U of I and. Um, just the fact that I know people from there, actually one of my bros that actually played uh, basketball, they came from Plainfield East. You may know of Aaron Jordan. Yeah, I know there. Aaron. Sure yeah. do. Talk yep. to Aaron when I go down there, when I did go down when he was there, yes. Yeah, good people. He represented U of I well on the court down there. So I hope that they continue to um, move forward, especially with the Io, uh, Io's last year. I, yeah. Yep. And all, and I they, I forgot the kid's name, uh, but they just Both got the guy from – Yep, and, and then they got AO's, yeah, yeah, AO's partner that played with him. Um, no, I, I can't remember his name neither. I haven't met him yet, talked with him yet, but I will soon. Yeah, I mean, so they're the player and, and the key, Josh, is getting the talent level. Right. Um, when I went, when I played in the 80s, we kept all, McDonald All Americans. You got to keep top level people. And, uh, you know, I think AO and AO's partner, Kofi. Uh, they are starting to attract that kind of talent again, homegrown talent. We need all we need to do is keep our people right here in the state, and we'll be able to contend for national titles if if we can do that. And I think we're on track to do that. You only played. Let's transition to your NBA career. You, um, real briefly, you played only a couple of years in the NBA. Why so short? You know, I tell you, the NBA is a, a very uh, challenging league. Um, but the, the hardest part about the NBA is just is just finding the right team. And I, I think I started out in Sacramento, then I spent some time over at uh, Golden State and then at Cleveland and just really never found the right team uh, that was looking for the kind of talent. Let me tell you, the NBA is full of talent, um, great players. It was a great experience for me. Um, I, I just never and, and to be fair, you know, at the end of those three years, I decided to move on. I think there, there's always the opportunity if that's what God's calling you to. And it, during that season of my life, I was starting a family and I just felt God's calling to do something different. Um, but it was a great experience. But being able to find, you know, if outside, Josh, when you're, out, when you're in players from number six to 12 on the team, it's about finding the right role. It's about finding the right team. Uh, and if you can find that right team, then you can really stick and, and you can stay. And if you want to search around for that right team, I probably could have stayed around another two or three years for sure, playing with a team here and a team there. But but at that time uh, in my life, I just felt like God was pulling me to uh, to something different, something a little more uh, uh, settled. And uh, and so um, I, I settled down and, and moved into uh, into management and worked uh you know doing some operations things and, and then eventually to ministry that's where god uh, was calling me uh at that time as well everybody listening right now you're listening to current pastor of walking by faith community church pastor douglas 
Uh, pastor, now let's transition to your ministry because now you are a pastor. Um, you was a former son of, as we call it, son of Broadview <laughs> from, yes, my, uh, from my home, from our home church, Broadview Missionary Baptist Church. And now you are the pastor of Walking in Faith Community Church in Plainfield. Talk about your ministry and the transition of God was moving you to from being a regular preacher or minister to now being a pastor. Yeah, you know, first of all, Broadview was home, bro. That'll always be home, Pastor Hobson and Pastor Parker, who uh, who really grew me up spiritually in the ministry. And, uh, you know, when you're a preacher, and of course, I was the youth director and had some different roles there. When you're preaching, uh, it, it's more of a of a kind of a role player on a basketball team. Um, you know, you 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 only you, you get called up for specific things, and they want you to do. Uh, um, just uh, uh, things that uh, are designated just for you. And so preaching doesn't have quite the responsibility in terms of overseeing, uh, in terms of having vision, in terms of counseling, in, in terms of teaching, uh, in terms of moving a, a, a whole congregation of people or a group of people. And so the preaching part of it, I enjoyed. It was a, it was a great experience to only have to worry about preparing a message once every month or, or, or you know, a couple times a month uh, versus uh, preparing messages every day. Uh, as you transition into pastoring, uh, I think what happens is your messages uh, become um, ser uh, series uh, because what you start learning as a pastor is you're trying to teach people uh, to move in a direction or to understand something and it requires more than just a, a, a sermon. It requires a series of sermons to get them uh, to understand some of the, the things that you want them to understand, as well as uh, the way God is trying to move you uh, in a ministry to accomplish the things he's called us to do. Uh, so those things are, are, are at the forefront, but there's also the whole uh, understanding that you're not called to be like somebody else. <laughs> you know, you leave a broad view, which is a dynamic, large church where you learn, but God calls you out from there so that he can use you uh, for the purpose he has for your ministry and that church. And today we struggle a lot because a lot of churches are trying to be cookie cutters where we're trying to mimic or copy something that somebody else is doing. And what works over there may not work over here. And, and what you learn to, to grow in is that this is what God has called me to do. These are the gifts I have. And I'm going to let God use me the way I am. And I'm not going to try to be uh, somebody that I'm not. And, uh, and so the, the, the challenge in ministry is teaching people how to be free, free in Christ, uh, enabling and empowering people to use their gifts and uh, to be able to share the gospel with people so that we touch people with our love. Um, uh, and right now, you know, our nation is, is in a position or a place where they need the gospel. We need, uh, we need people to, to, to relate to um, the politics of the day in a way where we can build relationships and then share not just the love of Christ, but the wisdom of God of how we work through these, uh, these, um, these uh, systemic racist uh, mindsets and attitudes, uh, these uh, uh, systemic um, structures that we've built up in the in the justice system and in the economics and and we have to do that by embracing our our caucasian brothers and sisters and and trying to set them free from from this operation of guilt and and, and instead of being forced 
to do something good. We want to set them free. Let them repent and let them be set free of these ideals and, and, and this racist attitude so that they can do what they want to do for us out of love so that they're not forced to do it, but they're free to do it. And so that's why I think uh, right now God is calling us to is to try to build up relationships and unite the church so that we can make a difference uh, in our country today. Briefly go more in depth about that because of the fact that obviously we have a current pandemic going on with coronavirus. We do have these systematic uh, racial issues that we've been going through for years and are still fighting for till this day. And on top of that, one of our iconic leaders of those movements recently just passed and he was memorialized as of today we're talking on on a Thursday, well, where, 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 you know, where the, his funeral John Lewis just had today. Go more in depth as far as the pastor's role and preachers in general, their roles in helping change and shape society in the way God envisioned it to them. Just like a similar way that we know of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Reverend John Lewis, um, Reverend uh, v, uh, C. Vivian, um, and Reverend Lawson, who just spoke, who spoke at his funeral, at, at Lewis's funeral as well. Talk about the role that pastors and preachers play when it comes to these systematic issues within society. Yeah, yeah that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I think, first of all, as the pastor, we have to, we have to uh, provide exemplary behavior in the way we do things so that uh, our flock can follow us as we follow Christ. And, and so I think it's important that we, we look to the word for our answers. We share the word with our people. Uh, today, we have to encourage, we need more Christians in the political realm. We do. We need Christian people in there uh, that, that God can use uh, to bridge gaps uh, of, of, this, um, of these, you know, years and years of, um, of this systemic racism, uh, these, this culture that we've built up that has denied things. Um, uh, that have happened. And since we've denied them, we still see them happening over and over. And so first and foremost, we also, uh, we have to be, we have to be truthful where we're at. And then we have to, like I said, we really have to set people free. We've got a lit, uh, and I got a lot of Caucasian uh, brothers in the ministry, pastors that I'm close with, that I pray with, that we've built relationships with over the years that, um, that, you know, I'm trying to encourage them to encourage their congregations they need to be involved in standing up. Let me tell you this, Black Lives Matter. Um, that is a true statement. That's not a, uh, a secular statement. It's a statement that we make so that we understand that when, we, when the response is not that all lives matter. The reason we're saying Black Lives Matter is no different than when we say abortion matters. We don't, when we say abortion matters, we don't say that all lives matter. We, what we do is we march against anti-abortion because we're identifying that there's an injustice that's taking place to a group of people that we want to bring attention to. And so when we say Black Lives Matter as a pastor, I want people to understand we're just trying to bring attention, attention to the fact that God has created Black people, Black men, Black folks to make a difference in this nation and for the kingdom of God. And in order for that to happen, we now need to, to empathize with black lives. We need to make sure that the urgency is out there, that there's an injustice uh, going on. There's a, uh, there's a, a, a systematic uh, racist uh, culture of, of criminal justice and of economics and of medical 
healthcare. We've got to educate our people in the word so that we can live under the spirit. Now we got to be filled with the spirit. Our challenges is that I'm not talking about doing things in a secular way. I'm talking about identifying things in the secular realm that we can now live in the spirit, in, in the truth of God's word, so we can embrace our Caucasian brothers and sisters in the kingdom so that we can then unite together and break down some of these uh, systemic things that have been going on. And how does that work? It works by our Caucasian brothers calling it out when they see it. See, there's so much going on, Josh, when we're not around, when they are around. So, you know, when they're with their Caucasian brothers and they're, and they're using the N-word or, or they're talking about uh, the history or trying to uh, keep statues of Confederate flags and anything that has to do with evil and slavery, those things have to be eradicated because they're not a part of our new life in the United States. You know, it's, it's like our old life when we uh, are, are unsaved. We live, uh, we're born with a sinful nature. And when we get born again, man, the old things are passed away. We don't bring them into the new life. And so I think as a society, we first have to identify the old life, that, that slavery mentality, the, 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 the history of slavery. It has no place in the United States, which is the new life that we fought and uh, uh, to have freedom for all men. And so as we start to, to bring this message, that's a biblical message of freedom to all people, but starting with the ideal that Black Lives Matter, because that's where the, the injustice is taking place. And so we have to empathize with Black people and say that there is something going on that has no business going on, and then allow the power of God's spirit to help us be free. Uh, as we unite with our, our Caucasian brothers and sisters and continue to encourage them to stand out, stand up, and stand against this stuff whenever they see it. And then we can start to build new things uh, where things are more uh, from an equal perspective, uh, from a kingdom perspective, not where we just say all people are equal, but we live in a society where people experience that all things are equal. And, uh, and that will take some time, but, but I think as a pastor, we have to have a vision for that, and we have to have a plan and a purpose where we can, uh, where we can involve people um, to, to see how that exactly works. Amen, Pastor. Amen. Um, that being said, what's next for you and your church? Well, we're, we, you know, we, we've, uh, we've participated in some of uh, the, the Black Lives Matters marches, and not, not as a a secular ideal, but to let the world know that the kingdom is concerned about things that go on in our society. We don't go to church so that we can uh, become better people. We go to church that we can impact our society for Christ. And so um, we're not better people, we're new people, and we're living from a new perspective. And so for our ministry, we're, we're utilizing Zoom right now as a platform. Uh, we're, we're doing a series on family that we might be able to encourage people right now how God expects a family to operate. Uh, and that family, of course, extends to the church. Uh, we will get to that place where, where we're going to talk about how the church, uh, which is the body of Christ uh, throughout the world, how we are to operate in unity and how our unity and our vision for what God is, is calling us to do, which is seek that which is lost. Uh, as we start to sacrifice our materialism and sacrifice our our our, um, our luxuries 
that we might reach people for the kingdom, we will watch God's spirit be poured out on, on people that need to have their lives changed. And so that's what we're focusing in on now. We're talking about building relationships. We're talking about giving up some of our rights, some of our luxuries, sacrificing some of the materialistic things that we might be able to identify and reach people for Christ. And, and you got to meet people where they are, Josh. You can't, you can't be uh, above them or below them. You got to be where they're at. And, and that's what we're focusing on right now in our ministry. We're really trying to to build this whole ideal of what the church as a body and a family looks like. And of course, that's a diverse church. That's not a, a, a African-American or white. It, it is a diverse church. Uh, it will be predominantly black and it may be predominantly white, but it's going to have a mixture of, of everything in it. Where can everybody um, follow uh, your church? I know, do you have, I know your church probably has some social media. Do you have personal personal social media where people can follow you and what your church is doing within the community. Yeah, yeah. You can go to Facebook and, and we're Walking in Grace Community Church. Walking in Grace Community Church. You can go to Facebook. Our website is at walkingingrace.cc. Uh, any of those two places, you're going to find out what we're preaching about. We're Zooming right now on every Sunday. So if you go to any one of those to our Walking in Grace, uh, it's all one word, walkingingrace.cc. Our website will give you all of the information about what our ministry is doing. You can go to our Facebook page, which is Walking in Grace Community Church, and you can see, uh, you know, we, we have a prayer call on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have Bible study on Tuesday. We got worship on Sunday. We have some life group meetings. And if you go there, uh, you can find out how to, how to be active or, or how to uh, participate in our ministry. Do you have, do you have social media? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You want to know? I'm gonna say yeah. Oh, come on, yeah. you yeah, need you, all that, Pastor. <laughs> oh yeah, no. You you go to the go to my page. You'll see right now. I've got. I just did a a remembering Lou, uh, remembering Lou Henson, uh, a, a little um, story on Lou uh, on on my Facebook page, and um, you go there, and uh, you know I shoot up on Instagram, and I'm following people on Twitter, and you know so I. I am, I am there, and uh, if you uh, go to Facebook, you're going to see me. And, uh, you know, the thing with all of the social media is that we try to use it in a way where it's beneficial. I'm not going to be, I, I'm not someone who tries to abuse it, so you won't, uh, I'm not commenting on everything. I'm not making a statement. I'm not trying to build a ministry through Facebook. But Facebook is a place where you can find our ministry and you, you, I will speak out about things that I think God has put on my heart and I will share things that I think is beneficial. But we got to be very careful because we are, I'm in the kingdom. I work for the king. Uh, I don't work for America or, or for, or, or trying to please people. I'm trying to please God. And in order to do that, I need to be able to reach on both sides of the aisles. I'm not, this is not about Republican or Democrat. Uh, this is about lost and saved. And, and so as we start to maneuver in that realm, we have to be able uh, to speak to both sides and to hear both sides uh, so that we can minister to them. Amen, Pastor. But I'm still not letting you off the hook. They need to have your social media tags and your handle so that way they can personally follow exactly what you and your, what you and your church are putting out. So you gave your church, but what's your personal social media, if you don't if mind? If you go that? to Pastor Bruce 25, you can follow me on Instagram, Pastor Bruce 25. And so uh, that's Instagram and Twitter. 
And so, yeah, if you go there, you you will be able to follow me. I got a little following. It's not nothing uh, big, but um, but I like I said, I I comment on things. Uh, you know, when I think that uh, God is moving me to say something, I I think today we say too much, and then when we have something to really say, people don't listen. And so uh, I'm in the mindset of when I say something, it's because God wants them to hear it. Uh, uh, but but you will find me, Pastor Bruce twenty five. Uh, on Instagram, and uh, and I would love uh, you want to follow me. That would be wonderful. Uh, and like I said, um, we are about doing the work of the King for the Kingdom. And every, and speaking of social media, everybody can follow me on social media on Instagram at that guy Josh Hicks, and on Twitter at jhicks042 for all the latest content, including content like we're talking about right now. And Bruce. Thank you so much for coming on the Interscope Podcast. We really appreciate you. Love of you to come back at any time. And obviously, you know me from, from, from the Bravi family. It's always nice to catch up with each other. And we always tuning in to what Walking in Faith Community Church is doing. So continue to do the work that God has called you to do. You always have, our, my, our, you know, the Bravi family support, but especially, specifically, my support, my family support. We, I'm excited to see what you guys are doing, man. It seems like you're doing, guys are doing really great work. And hopefully when this coronavirus situation calms down and we yeah. start to have more church sessions and more in-person meetings, I'm definitely going to slide by walking in Faith Community Church and check out to see what you guys are doing, man. Hey, Josh, I appreciate that. Your mom and dad are uh, so dear to me. We grew up in ministry together, and uh, they are just uh, 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 just great Christian people that um, have lived by faith. Of course, you're grandfather brother duffin who uh mentored you know brother duffin uh helped me grow spiritually um you know just i got such a great opportunity to be a part of your family and see people of faith and how they live and, and to be a part of that community is surely impacted me and yeah we have i'm excited to see what you're doing um you know we need people uh that are in the media that are uh communicating uh, the truth of how things are and being able to make sure that uh, people can get it the right way and then uh, try to influence and encourage them uh, with a Christian background. And so I, I, I'm proud of you. I'm glad to be here with you. And surely we'll, we'll keep checking in so that we can uh, stay in touch. And uh, when things calm down, the, the, the pandemic, I'm sure we'll get a chance to, to connect and hook up for sure. Most definitely. Most definitely. Tell your family I said hello and We'll definitely catch up soon. Thank you for joining the podcast. I'll keep in touch. All right. Peace out, man. Bless you. Yes, sir.